I think because Scaffold was a work that had been exhibited for three years in Europe with no controversy, it just wasn't on my radar and it wasn't on the Walker's radar that it was going to be a problem or that it could be offensive. Three years ago, artist Sam Durant's scaffold project made headlines when a group of Dakota people protested the inclusion of the artwork in the Walker Art Center's newly renovated sculpture park in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For those who aren't aware of the project, I can tell you it was one of the lightning rods for protest in the art world during 2017, which, along with Dana Schutz's Emmett Till painting that appeared at the Whitney Biennial, became flashpoints for conversations about appropriation, the responsibility of artists, racism, and the role of curators and museums in this conversation. Durant recently penned an essay on the controversy, which he's published on his personal website, and we've included a link in the episode notes here. I'm Hrag Vartanyan, the host of the Hyperallergic Podcast. Scaffold, for those who may have forgotten, was protested by the Dakota peoples as being insensitive to their history as it incorporated the scaffold of the infamous Mankato execution, which involved the killing of 38 Dakota men on December 26, 1862, in Mankato, Minnesota. Ordered by President Lincoln, the event remains the largest mass execution in U.S. history and one of the most widely known episodes in the continuing genocide of indigenous inhabitants in this country. Durant has reflected on the event, and it gave me hope that the conversations we've been having in the art community over the years will continue to percolate as artists, curators, writers, dealers, and everyone else learn from past mistakes and missteps. I know, I'm being a little hopeful. There's a reason our Sunday edition in August focused on mistakes. It's timely, and it's something we're all thinking about. So, I asked Sam Durant to join me and discuss his essay and his thoughts on the Scaffold Project today. I started by asking him why he thought it was important to publish this now, three years after the fact. Well, it's a text I've been working on for quite a while and have sort of published different shorter versions here and there. And there were a couple of stories that just came out in the news and some friends sent them to me uh, about the Walker Arts Center having some staffing changes and, and closing down their online publishing section. And they mentioned Scaffold several times, even though it really had nothing to do with the story. And I thought I heard from a few friends who said, you know what, you've, you've got you've to respond. You've got to get your, <laughs> your text out there. So I thought, why not? So what were they saying about scaffolding that seemed to misrepresent the situation? Well, it's, it's talked about in, in virtually every time the, you know, the Walker issues a press release or they cover some, um, something that the Walker's doing. And it's generally characterized as a work that was about the Dakota uh, mass execution and Cato and that the people in Minneapolis protested it and it was taken down. 
and this was a big controversy. Well, one of the uh, things that you're t- the text that comes out very clearly, and I think is also maybe the way that's been characterized, is often the responsibility seems to be hoisted on you rather than the institution. Now, why do you think that's happening? Well, it's I think it's it's um, it's the easiest way to go. It was an artwork that was that was protested and removed from the Minneapolis uh, Sculpture Garden. And I was an easy target in a way. And part of what I wanted to do with the text is, you know, is sort of put the work in context and and build a whole story around how all this happened. So in terms of the way that you wish people would talk about it, could you could you like sort of suggest what you think would be a more accurate way to present the project in this kind of summary type of way that keeps happening? Well, I think the 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 reason that the work was was protested was because uh, the walker didn't reach out to its community in Minneapolis and specifically to the Dakota community before the work was installed uh, to get their input, uh, their feedback, talk about uh, how the the work might affect them. And this is something that Walker does and all museums do whenever they have an exhibition or an artwork that they feel might be a sensitive subject or create controversy. And unfortunately, they didn't do it in the case of Scaffold. So people, it was installed and people saw it without any information or context. And they, for the most part, misinterpreted the meaning of it. So let's talk about the original context or the original way the, this work came into, you know, to be. That was with Documenta. Um, it was a commission. Is that correct? Yes, it was originally uh, commissioned for Documenta in 2012, which is a big international exhibition in Kassel, Germany. And it was a scaffold is a, is a, a sort of architectural conglomeration of sort of significant gallows throughout U.S. history. And it's, it was meant to be an interactive sculpture that you could climb up on and viewers and visitors could stand on it and kind of learn about the different gallows that were, you know, uh, depicted in the work and, and sort of meditate and think about and reflect on the issue of capital punishment and its relationship to U.S. history. So in the in the text you wrote, one of the things that you talk about is the how successful the I guess being exhibited in Europe successfully with no misunderstandings of its meaning. Can you talk a little bit about that? What you mean by that, and how you think that changed when it came to the United States? Well, I, w- one of the things I wanted to to show was that uh, the work had been exhibited for three over three years in Europe. More than a million people had seen it. And it had been in The Hague in the Netherlands in relation to the institutions of international uh, justice and had been understood as a, as a sort of a work that was meant to foreground and bring, or, or I should say, bring forward the issues of capital punishment. And of course, the U.S. is the only, let's say, uh, first world democratic country. I mean, I'm putting air quotes around these terms. Um, that employs capital punishment. And so a big part of what Amnesty International and what the institutions in The Hague are interested in is is getting the U.S. to stop, to end capital punishment, to abolish it. So it was understood in in the service of those goals and missions, if you could say it had a social 
dimension to it. So, so with that in mind, the idea, you know, from my perspective, the idea that it would be controversial in the U.S. was sort of mitigated by that reception and that long period of time that it was being exhibited in Europe. So the idea that it would then be uh, controversial or misunderstood in the U.S. was was maybe not in the front of my mind. So now let's talk a little bit about, because you have a history with the Walker in that you were an artist in residence in 2001 to 2003 at the Walker. And at that time, you actually did reach out to members of the American Indian movement, as well as also local leaders in the Native American communities. Tell us a little bit about that experience. And why do you think that this process didn't involve the same type of um, collaborative discussion? Yeah, it's a, a good point. And something I also wanted to talk about in the essay was the fact that I was there in Minneapolis for a couple of years early in the beginning of the 21st century. And I worked exclusively with young people, teenagers in a couple of Native American charter schools. And we did an audio project with them where they recorded their stories in a sense. And my idea was to sort of bring their stories to the walker and we installed speakers in the in the in the sculpture garden actually and then we we had this this um sort of long uh audio narrative piece that was playing in the garden for several months when i when i arrived at the walker it it was part of a a funded you know artist residency initiative so this was something that they had raised money for, gotten funding for, and was supporting artists. There were three or four other artists who also did this to come and spend time in Minneapolis and develop a project with people in outside of the normal uh, membership of the Walker Art Center. So it was it was really designed as a as a way for the museum to reach out to different communities through working with artists, and of course. You know, that that was a difficult project because the Walker had no connections with the Native American community. And, you know, keep in mind that the largest urban Native American population in the country is in Minneapolis. And I, you know, I thought it was, you know, problematic that the museum didn't have any connections with that community. And so we worked really hard to kind of build some bridges there. And unfortunately, those bridges were not maintained uh, after I left. So 10 years later, uh, the Walker bought my work. It wasn't commissioned. It wasn't part of a residency. There was never an initiative to bring me to to Minneapolis to sort of work through the issues in Scaffold. Unfortunately, the Walker never offered to bring me out to do a site visit, which I I say in in the text, you know, that was a huge mistake. Right. That totally makes sense. I do just want to make a a point, though, that some people argue that New York actually has the largest urban Native American population, but uh, it is frequently said that Minneapolis is. So if it's not number one, it's definitely number two. Either way, I just want to sort of point that out for people. Yes. Good point. (laughs) Well, I was part of a conference a few years ago called Indigenous New York that was trying to correct some of those perceptions. But I think what your greater point in that Native Americans are often just sort of invisible in communities 
issues. And I think that's part of the larger point. And it is kind of distressing that the Walker didn't continue to maintain healthy relationships with the local community. So now let's talk a little bit about in terms of the text itself. I mean, there's part of it that you definitely take responsibility for your, your part. You certainly put a lot of the responsibility on the institution. So now, what do you think would have been a perfect scenario, in your opinion, for a project like this? Like, what is the responsibility? Because I'm asking this partly because it feels like curatorial departments feel very disconnected from education departments and other departments sometimes at museums. And the Walker, in my, on my perspective, is definitely one of those museums that feel very removed from their local art community in many ways. So what have you actually experienced that felt like a much healthier process? I mean, again, um, I think because Scaffold was a work that had been exhibited for three years in Europe with no controversy, I don't, I don't, it just wasn't on my radar and it wasn't on the Walker's radar that it was going to be a problem or that it could be offensive. And again, I don't, I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just trying to set the context. And, you know, in my mind, this is a work, it's not about the Dakota people. Uh, this is a work, it includes their history, but it's a work about the history of all of us in the United States and about capital punishment, its relationship to power and domination and settler colonialism. So it didn't occur to me that the Dakota community in Minneapolis would recognize the image of the Mankato gallows and respond in the way they did, which was very negatively, which is very understandable in hindsight. <laughs> Their grievances are completely justified. So from my side, I apologize for that. You know, I felt uh, obviously terrible and I still feel terrible. I, I had no intention of traumatizing that community. That would be the last thing I would want to do. You know, that said, I think the Walker is in Minneapolis. That is their community they should have known. And that's my argument. And, you know, as you say, in the curatorial department, they just don't have a connection to the local community there. It's a very Eurocentric department. So one of the things I want to talk about is the reception of the work in Europe versus the U.S., only because at the same time, also, Dana Schutz's painting at the Whitney Biennial caused a lot of controversy, as we know, the painting of Emmett Till, but that painting, as many people are aware, were, was first actually exhibited in Berlin. But it was in the New York showing of the work and in that context that it ignited debate and a lot of controversy. Same thing happened with Scaffold. Now, I have some thoughts about why that could be, but I was wondering if you had thoughts about why American audiences seem much more ready to um, talk back, as it were, or maybe uh, criticize an artwork in an institution. Any thoughts? Oh God, yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great point and a, and a really interesting um, and important issue. I think. I mean, you know, there's many things. One of them certainly is that both Dana's painting, which is obviously about this atrocity from the U.S. from the civil rights era, my work, which is about the history of capital punishment. These are somebody else's history. So for Europeans, it's not a kind of direct, it's not about their history directly. Uh, and I think it's always easier for people to deal with the other's history or the other's problems. 
I mean, there's also a, a difference in the way that audiences relate to artwork. And I think, you know, you mentioned that American uh, U.S. audiences maybe feel more engaged with the work in a way or, or more uh, willing to challenge it. You know, I don't know if that's a cultural <laughs> difference, let's say. Right, um, right. It could be. I think, I mean, there's a lot of examples of, of work being challenged and attacked and protested in Europe also. So I wouldn't say that there's a sort of, you know, significant cultural difference in the way that audiences react to work. There's a great art historian who wrote a great book about the history of contemporary iconoclasm. Dario Gamboni is a Swiss art historian who wrote the, it's called The Destruction of Art. And, uh, and he does a lot of case studies and may, most of them are in Europe looking at, you know, audiences that have attacked artwork. Uh, I think, I think part of what happened with, with Dana's work and then with my work was also, is also about a, a specific moment in our history in the U S as well. I'm not well, sure I, those things would have happened 20 years before right. and they probably won't happen in 20 years in the future. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know about that. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I might be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to share some thoughts that uh, talking to colleagues and others, because, you know, this is a bit of question I've thought about quite a bit. You know, and I do wonder whether it's partly U.S. museums being much more engaged in uh, their education departments, encouraging the public to stay engaged with work for a longer period. I don't think it's any sort of special, you know, personally, I don't think it's anything special or different about the U.S. necessarily. But I do think that there is a different relationship in terms of institutions and their publics for different reasons. And I also do want to mention that in, in Germany, of course, there is also a problematic history of how Native Americans are represented in festivals and other things. So, you know, that I think is something we should just sort of keep in mind in some of these conversations, because, you know, as problematic as the history has been in the U.S., it certainly has been perpetuated, if not amplified, in places like Germany, France, UK, and other places um, in different ways. So I guess I'm also curious what you think you know, whether you feel like the resolution, because part of the thing in your text that I really want to get at as well is the part, I guess, that was a bit of a revelation to me. I mean, if we we're going to say anything in the text was a revelation, that is the process of the decision and the meeting between the elders, the uh, Dakota elders and the museum, you seem to have felt removed from the situation more than initially it appeared to be. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or clarify what you... Um, how you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've learned in thinking through uh, the whole process of the mediation is really how little agency I really had in that process. I think it didn't, it didn't really register with me all of the forces that were at play in that, in that moment of conflict and, and that is how much a part of this, the city and the state, the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota uh, also had uh, quite a bit at stake. It became clear to me as time went on that uh, the Dakota and, and other Native American uh, nations have been struggling with the city, the state, the churches in the region over 
all kinds of things over territory, land, artifacts, stolen remains, stolen sacred objects, and so forth. So there has been a long history of battles going back to this time of the Mankato execution in the 1860s and the, you know, the, the settling of Minnesota by Euro-ethnic people. It goes back that far and it's been ongoing. And so scaffold became a kind of lightning rod. So grievances that, and struggles that have been going on that the state and the city would rather not deal with came uh, to the surface with, with the issue of scaffold. So, you know, I think the way the whole uh, event of the mediation and then the press conference was structured was kind of a, a setup. We didn't have time to think about it, reflect about it, decide how to do it. Or I shouldn't say we, I should say I didn't have time. So who do you and think had the, had the most agency or had the most direction in that process? I think the Dakota did. I mean, and, and this is, they, they handled it so well. And I just, you know, I think they had so much leverage in that particular time and place. And, um, you know, and they really got what they wanted. It also turned out that the state and the city, I think, also wanted the sculpture gone because they didn't want to have this conflict and especially to have it in such a public way. So, you know, this is a real intersection of art and politics uh, in a real politic kind of way. And, you know, I, I initially I had said, well, I have, I had a lot of power, you know, the Walker and I are, are you know, come from the, the sort of dominant part of society. And of course the, the Dakota have relatively less power. And I, you know, that may be true in a, in a sort of, on a general level, of course, but I think in that instance, the Dakota were, you know, and I mean, this is a compliment. They handled it really, really well. You know, I, I'm, I'm super impressed with what they did. And I just wanted to make that clear. So where was the and breakdown I, in the museum? Was it in Olga Viso? Was it who, who, where did you see this sort of breakdown? Because from what I've heard, and I've only heard, you know, people, nobody wants to go on the record, of course. But what I've heard, there was a real disconnect between the education department and the rest of the museum, which didn't keep them privy of what was going on. But in your experience, where did you see that actual breakdown in the museum? Well, to be honest with you, uh, Harag, I, I, I mean, I really had, I was completely removed from the whole situation. As I said, the museum never asked me to come out and, you know, prior to the building up of the work, which at one point I thought, listen, I should go out there and see where the piece is going to go, talk, you know, talk about what it means, blah, blah, blah. And that would have been a time to to do all this stuff, to meet, you know, to go through, you know, to work with the education department and the curatorial side. And, and like I did with my residency 10 years before, what does this mean for the people in Minneapolis? So we never did that. And I, I honestly, I have no idea what happened in the inner workings of the museum. I got a phone call, you know, what, a week before the, the sculpture garden was set to be reopened. And, you know, panicked phone call from the museum saying, oh, my God, there's protests. They want to burn down the sculpture. And uh, so that was really the first I heard of any problem. So what was your first reaction? I mean, okay, this, this, I mean, there's not really a phone call any artist or anybody wants to receive. But what was your first reaction? Well, my first reaction was, who wants, you know, who wants to burn it down? Did Dakota want to burn it down? They're angry about it. I thought, oh, God, great. Let them burn it down. Fantastic. 
Uh, <laughs> really? That was your first reaction? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had no idea why they were wanted to burn it down, but I thought, you know, okay, let them do it. You know, it's, it's a pile of lumber. <laughs> um, and then we can sort it out. Then, you know, after people get their aggressions out, then we can find out what the problem is. But obviously they said, no, we can't do that. This is the sculpture garden. We're reopening, you know, we want to open in a week. And, you know, it just, obviously they couldn't let people go in there and set fire to this artwork. Right. Uh, of course that would have been yeah. probably not a safe situation. <laughs> and then, not a safe situation. And then, uh, not at all. Yeah. And then, of course, I realized, oh, my God, if they do that, then the cops are going to come and they're going to arrest people. Somebody could, you know, get killed. And this was like a really, you know, this was the moment when I realized, holy shit, you know, this is this is really serious. Somebody could get killed. And um, and that's when I went, wow, OK, this is this is really serious. Um, we have to de-escalate the situation and so we immediately started talking and i you know i mean again i know olga's received a fair amount of criticism and and i really honestly have no idea of who did what and uh my, my experience with olga was that she did very well in handling the crisis so she she negotiated with the police and and made sure that the police wouldn't arrest people so they made sure that the protesters could stay at the site and and not get arrested and also be protected because you know at that time the sort of white nationalists heard about this and uh and and so they were driving by the protesters screaming and shouting and throwing beer cans at the at the native american protesters so it was it was a really tense moment and we should also mention for people in the, who don't have context that Standing Rock was around the exact same time. It had just been disbanded, um, you know, or broken up by the police and, and the authorities. So there was also, and a lot of the protesters at Standing Rock were from Minneapolis and Dakota and part of the other uh, nations in that area. So I think that's a context that sometimes people forget that also that there was a lot of, you know, anger around uh, Native Americans being ignored and erased from different conversations. So I just want to give people a little sense of that too. So now I'm curious in terms of, you mentioned in your text that you had offered initially to remove the part of the scaffold that had dealt with the Dakota. Now, I'm curious why that was an option for you and why potentially you thought that could be a, a good solution. Well, the work was about the work is about capital punishment and the relate you know U.S. history, and that was that's the issue in the work. So I didn't feel like any one particular uh, representation of a gallows, net, you know, had to be there. It, you know, it was about this combination of things. So if that you know if I felt like if if this was this image of the Mankato gallows was traumatizing that community. I, of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have included it. If it, look, if I had made the work as a site specific piece for the, the sculpture garden, I would have met with the Dakota and I would have asked them about it. And they would have said, maybe, uh, no, we don't want it in there. And that would have been fine. So in a way it was kind of like a retroactive <laughs> meeting <laughs> with the Dakota uh, and, and, uh, you know, and I felt fine about that. I, so like when I got the phone call just before Memorial Day weekend, I called the 
architect that I worked with on the original design and said, look, could you do a drawing really quickly of what it would look like without the Mankato gallows? And we did that and I made some printouts and brought them to the mediation with me and showed them to everyone there. That makes sense. And in your essay, you also put a lot of responsibility on the museum, also the fact that they haven't evolved, even from this moment. I mean, people of color at the Walker Art Center, certainly the, their numbers are abysmal, particularly in any kind of higher up position in terms of the different curatorial, the Eurocentrism, you call that out as well. Now, do you want to just sort of summarize what you think should happen next? You know, because it does feel like there are parts of the scaffold project that's still unfinished, right? And I don't think it has anything to do with the work itself, which I should mention, you know, your openness to having it destroyed is partly because you consider yourself a conceptual artist and not a sculptor or something. Because I think if it was a, if you were a sculptor or identified that way, I think you would have had a very different relationship to the object itself. But I just want to give people that sense as well. So what do you think needs to happen to put this piece at rest? Or do you think it is at rest? Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. My, my reaction is very different from Richard Serra's reaction to the Tilted Ark, for instance. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see it, okay, I see it. And, and Olga also, I think, you know, as we talked about it in the aftermath before she left the walker, as the possibility for a kind of transformation of the work. And we were talking about how we might, let's say, build on what happened, the protests, um, the fact that the Dakota, through their action, became part of the whole process. And, you know, this was an opportunity for the walker actually to connect with the Dakota community to those in, in that community who would like to connect with the walker to open a door to that and to the other Native American members in that community who would like to connect with the walker and to, you know, to start to move forward, like let the dust settle and let the emotions calm down and then maybe start to develop a kind of, uh, you know, a discussion group. It could be really private. It could be partially public, partially private, but to start to bring stakeholders in and people who are interested in and begin discussing what happened there why did it happen how can we create new opportunities in the museum so these kinds of things don't happen why is there so much anger in the native american community toward the walker center what can the walker do to work with that community to try and bridge the misunderstandings and the anger and aggression that's there that as soon as olga was forced out um, all of those initiatives that she had started working on in the months after the scaffold controversy were just dropped. And unfortunately, the museum's done, as far as I can tell, absolutely nothing since Olga's left um, to deal with any of these issues. So They've stuck their head in the sand. So one final question, Sam, you know, you gave your copyright to the Dakota uh, nation and the Dakota elders. Now, what does that mean practically? Like, for instance, let's say there's a retrospective of work of Sam Durant. To include that work in the catalog, an image of it, would you have to get their approval? I mean, what is it actually? Does it mean you would, you would never reconstruct it? Does it mean they can reconstruct it without your permission? Can you give us an idea of how you understand that? Yeah, it's, I think it's a really great question. Uh, and I've, I have talked to a couple of intellectual property 
lawyers about this. And it's a very kind of unknown issue, actually. So it's, it's a fascinating question, uh, I think, from, from that standpoint. Um, it's unclear. And we don't have a formal, I don't have a formal agreement with the Dakota about it. I think at some point, I would love to sit down with them uh, or with their lawyers and sort of make a make some kind of agreement about it and, and formalize it. So at this point, I don't really know. You know, I, I, I would think that, you know, like newspapers can publish images of scaffold. So I don't think that's a problem in terms of, you know, publishing images, I, you know, that seems to be uh, within the bounds of fair use. What I couldn't do is I couldn't rebuild the sculpture. No one could, except for the, the copyright holder. So the Dakota could rebuild the sculpture without my permission. They could do that. <laughs> I can't imagine they would do it, but they could. Right. I guess this is where we, we just don't know. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to thank you for joining us and for writing this. I think it's an important conversation. And of course, with the racial reckoning that's going on in the U.S. and elsewhere right now, it seems even more important to understand dealing with the, the pain of history, but also with the present day realities of what that means. So thank you, Sam. My pleasure. Thanks, Rock. We knew that it was coming. We just didn't know when. The music this episode is California Life by Radio Chaser. I encourage you to check them out. I'm Harag Vartanyan, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperlergic. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. The time and again Like dinosaurs and aliens Everything that starts will someday end River overflow and drown a town on a lonely coast. We ran off to Mexico. Mm-hmm.